Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary's filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast, and with us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh, so happy to have you here, and Jason, Thank you. Too. Hey there. Yes, Jason's here too. Thanks for. <laughs> it was seems like there. that. Normally, Josh does the <laughs> intro, but Christian called me out, so like I kind of had to jump ahead. I don't know. It's it's all thrown off. Yeah, sorry about yeah. that. Uh, sorry it's to steal your thunder, Josh. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. I can. <laughs> I'm used to it by now. So, well, hey, so you're back in the country. I am, and we're all back together for the first time in quite a long time. Uh, it's been really a long time. And before we jump into documentary first stuff, I'd love you guys to catch everybody up on what's going on in you know your world. Josh, we haven't talked about the Movie Proposal podcast in a long time. Uh, I read somewhere on Twitter that Sky had a very visceral reaction to something i can't remember what but how are things on the movie proposal yeah i think they're they're great just steady eddie uh we watched a movie with oscar isaac he's known for starring in dune the most recent star wars trilogy many other things his latest film is called the card counter it's not the easiest film to watch. Uh, there's lots to praise about it, I think, but doesn't it's not a mainstream kind of film. Sky, on the other hand, uh, hated it and uh, <laughs> just made it really entertaining to listen to Sky trash a movie. So it was uh, it was fun. Well, why is it hard to watch? Well, it's hard to go into without spoiling it. Yeah. Uh, is it violence or is it? Well, there is violence in it, but that's not, there's not a, a lot of violence. I mean, there's talk of violence and. Is it boring? It can be. Um, if you're not really engaged by it, I, I think you would find it pretty boring. Is um, it hard to understand? No, no, it's very linear. It's yeah. I guess we get to, one of the characters may have had something to do with like horrific torturing of other people. Mm. And that plays a role throughout the entire film of his life being impacted by that thing okay. and yeah it's pretty horrific <laughs> in some moments some moments just like ah and then Josh, you're like, why do you think it it's more. redeeming or why do you think it's worth watching well i don't think it's worth watching for everyone i think it's worth watching if you're a you know a cinephile and you know i like for example it just happens that the guy who wrote and directed this film wrote Taxi Driver. And I thought of Taxi Driver when I was watching The Card Counter because Taxi Driver is held as this iconic film. And I eventually saw it. It's, it's a disturbing film. I didn't like it. I'd never really want to see it again. But there's things about it, the way it unfolds, the acting, the dialogue that so many films borrow from. And I felt the count the card counter was similar where, you know, it was great acting. It was interesting how they're trying to tell this particular character's story, how it unfolded, but it's not necessarily entertaining. It's not funny. It's not adventurous. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily care for the, the, the protagonist. So yeah, you really got to like films to like, Oh, let's see what this is all about. <laughs> it's also like exceptionally linear in how it's told. Like, there's no real hiding the ball 
in this story. It's like everything just kind of it happens and then it happens and then it happens and then it happens and then it happens. <laughs> it's just like there's a there's a couple flashbacks here and there that explain things and you know a little bit of narration and things like that, but it's just it's very few characters headed in a direction and you don't really know why they're headed in that direction and then it gets there and you go, "Oh, okay." <laughs> it's very complex in how like you could and are you talking about the card counter taxi driver card counter yeah not not taxi driver taxi driver yeah masterpiece or whatever uh (laughs) the card counter the character is complex but you don't really get to see into it that much it's very complex but hidden kind of way interesting so yeah and so josh out of all the most recent episodes what would you recommend people watch if they're new to the movie proposal well, first, you can't really watch it. Uh, you can watch our earlier episodes. So you it's mostly listened to. Uh, we are now on Spotify. Are we still on Spotify? I think so. All right. <laughs> That's new. But anyway, it's, it's, it's listen on Apple and we think Spotify. <laughs> but if anyone's seen Top Gun Maverick, you can go yeah. listen to episode 131. We talked about Top Gun Maverick and we talked a lot about the original Top Gun and things that were similar between them and things that were different. It was a lot of fun. So Top Gun Maverick was definitely a crowd pleaser. A lot of people saw it. Some more people would probably enjoy that episode of us discussing it with the card counter. Very few people saw that. Um, But if you want to get a a taste of Sky, that'd be a good one to go to. (laughs) And um, where can people interact with you and Sky? Well, all of us on Twitter. uh, I don't know. Do you put our stuff in the show notes here, Jason? Uh, I will today. Give me me your uh, Twitter handles just so. JQ Lindsay. JQ Lindsay. And then what about you, Jason? Uh, at mine is Jace Ruggy, J A S E R U G G Y. And then Sky Jatani is just Sky Jatani. That's his. <laughs> he's very simple. Have awesome. I ever talked about how I didn't get the Jason Rugg uh, at Jason Rugg uh, handle on Twitter? I've heard it on the Holy Post, I think, but tell me here. Yeah, I don't remember. Basically, somebody took it uh, in like two months before I joined Twitter, some other Jason rug out there. There aren't that many of us. And uh, it's become just like a spam account that just like tweets about, you know, Hey, go gamble on this online gambling, whatever, use my code and all this sort of stuff. Mm. Just, and it hasn't tweeted since like, I don't know, 2012 or something now. It's just like, Oh, <laughs> stuck with some other off brand version of Jason. Rugg. Well, maybe it'll roll off or they'll cancel it. You'll be able to get it back. Yeah. So they were going to do that funny enough and then a bunch of people are like um so this is actually like you're, you're gonna delete my my dead friend's twitter account and you know it's basically like a, a you know an archive of his thoughts and you can't delete that and so they stopped that initiative and so now <laughs> dead accounts just live on forever being dead <laughs> oh that's ridiculous yeah that's crazy yeah oh well speaking of jason rug uh tell us what's been happening in your world yeah um so I, I don't want to go too deep into it, but um, we got some fun. Uh, we, <laughs> Sean and I got a interesting opportunity to submit some scripts to um, an upfront uh, type deal, which is kind of where, you know, things get to go and see if anyone ha- has interest in them or in us and that sort of thing. So um, that's why I wasn't actually here last week is we realized that deadline was not in the middle of July. And in fact, the first that is July 1st. So <laughs> what's it like <laughs> we, to scramble at the last minute like that? Oh, it was, it was fun. It was a lot of, you know, strategizing. Okay. So, well, that's the interesting thing is we had three projects we were trying to submit. And so we had to like 
triage them, right? We had to go for like, okay, this is the one that's the furthest away from where we want it to be. And we had to work on that and get everything ready and get all the pieces ready and then work our way through it that way. We had to write a group, uh, you know, a bio about us, projects we worked on, all that sort of stuff. And so it became a, a very interesting uh, the day we realized it was when we triaged it and we were like, okay, we need to do this, then this, then this, then this, and this. And, you know, I went through and made a list of all the pieces we need and what we needed to do on them. And, you know, we were, <laughs> we were um, texting each other, you know, at like one in the morning, like, oh, I just thought we could do this. And it was, <laughs> it was a mad dash uh, until that Friday. And we, uh, we finally got it done. And now we won't know until like September or October, if we even get to talk to anybody. But that's, that's how the business goes, right? It's just like, you know, you, you apply for things, you, you reach out to people, you pitch people things, you send people to things. And then half a year later, they go, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Sounds like the army. Hurry up and wait. And then yep. the canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that story a lot in all my interviews. Well, we wish you the best of luck. We, uh, we know more often than not, these turnout knows, but we really... Um, I appreciate your determination, your commitment. How are things going on Instagram, continuing to increase your following? Yeah, so we've actually put a little bit of a hold on posting things for a little bit now. We're focusing on reforming, for, formatting those into like actual episodes of a thing. And so we have six episodes of that. Um, we're showing that around to some people and starting to get a little bit of interest from people and, you know, seeing us as not just writers, but also as producers and directors, because that's what we, we did when we made it. So we've put the animation stuff on hold for just a little bit while we're focusing on trying to see what we can do with what we currently have. And if anyone's interested in it. Ah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Awesome. Well, I know that our listeners love hearing from you guys. So thanks for taking time to to get us updated. Of course. Yes. (laughs) Which, Josh, before we move, what's our next movie we're doing on the movie proposal? Well, yeah, I was just... (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the challenge is always seeing a movie and then what's available. And, you know, thankfully with streaming, it means we don't have to rush to the theater to see something that we may not be interested in seeing like the card counter. We could just kill time at home and watch that. But, uh, we're due this week. In fact, it's Tuesday. We're due for something in two days and yeah, Thor is coming out. So we'll definitely do Thor. Yeah. So that's a little ways off. Yeah. Maybe we could see the rise of Gru. Perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> uh, I tell you, we'll see. Can't wait. <laughs> well, uh, let's shift gears and jump back onto uh, the Girl Who Wore Freedom and other projects. Um, you have a couple updates, it sounds like. Um, yeah, with, uh, I mean, the first thing that I want to talk about is a sad update. Um, I hope I can do this without it being too emotional, but, um, we lost the last band of brother. Um, and he's also in our film and he's sort of a cherished, um, member of my family is what it feels like. Um, so Brad Freeman, uh, lived in Caledonia, Mississippi. So he's, we bonded over our, uh, you know, shared love of the state. Uh, I met Brad Freeman in 2017 when I went over there for the very first time to figure out if making a movie in Normandy would really be possible. Uh, we were going to Braypoor Manor that day to meet with Charles de Valavier. And as it turned out, um, 
Brad Freeman was going to be there as well that same day. Uh, he was doing a tour with the World War II Museum from New Orleans and Eric Dorr, who uh, is uh, the director of the Gettysburg Museum in Pennsylvania. And we met him for the first time. And it was so incredible because he had actually helped liberate uh, Danny's town of St. Marie Dumont. He was under um, Dick Winters and the Band of Brothers, like that core group of Easy Company. He was one of the original men at Tacoa. He was one of the first planes that jumped, uh, you know, that flew over Normandy. And, um, you know, he was in the back of the line. So behind the original guys that kind of took the guns out at Breakcore Manor. But uh, there that day, he showed us where one of his mortar shells had landed um you know on the farm so that was super powerful uh, he was a very tender man uh quiet super super quiet very gentle uh he was 97 years old the uh, last time i was there actually he when we showed up he was shelling pecans and that day i was there to introduce him to flo plana and flo's wife jenny and he ended up making us uh roasted pecans that day uh, so have a really warm memory memory of being there with him. Uh, I wanted to read sort of a little summary uh, just because it's important for us never to forget. So let me um, indulge me a minute as I read this little, um, not an obituary, but just a little summary of his life. Uh, former U.S. Army Private First Class Bradford Brad Freeman, the last surviving member of the 101st Airborne Division's Easy Company, the 2nd Battalion of the 506 Parachute Infantry Regiment that inspired the book and HBO series Band of Brothers has died. Freeman, who was presented with a Silver Service Medallion at the National World War II Museum's American Spirit Awards in New Orleans last month, died this past Sunday, June 3rd. He was, I mean, July 3rd, he was 97. He was preceded in death by his wife, Willie Louise, who he had known since they were children, and they had two daughters, Beverly and Becky. Uh, he enlisted in the military at 18, and I remember he told me that he did because of Pearl Harbor. He remembered uh, it, hearing it on the radio, ran home, uh, and decided he was going to join, join up. He volunteered as a paratrooper, he told me, because he got more money uh, than if he just joined the regular army. Uh, he was one of eight children who grew up working on a dairy farm and joined the military while he was a freshman at Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State is one of two major, well, three major universities, uh, Ole Miss being the other and University of Southern Mississippi being the third. And uh, Mississippi State is the agriculture uh, college. So he was studying agriculture there. Um, and one of his brothers also wanted to become a paratrooper and he joined the military as well, but ended up in the Pacific fighting against Japan. He entered the army on December 1942, a year after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. And in the fight against the Germans, he was part of the mortar squad and was on the first, one of the first three planes on D-Day. During his time in the military, he was wounded at the Battle of the Bulge. He saw action in Operation Market Garden and was part of the occupying troops in Berchtesgaden and Austria. He had been stationed in Aldeborn, England, and was scheduled to jump on June 5th, but as many people know, that was postponed because of bad weather. 
Um, his job in the invasion was carrying the mortars base plate. So uh, people who don't know what a mortar is, it's basically a, 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 a an artillery weapon that basically shoots a big artillery shell and you can only shoot one at a time. And it is carried by the infantry. And I think two or three pieces, maybe just two uh, with a base plate and then sort of a tripod thing that the um, the cannon sits on top of. So he carried the base plate, which was extremely heavy actually. And it was what kept the, ba- uh, the gun anchored. Um, Sergeant Don Malarkey, who was featured in the Band of Brothers, carried the other part of the weapon and three fellow soldiers carried the ammunition. Uh, Now, Don Malarkey, as the article says, was in Band of Brothers and Brad Freeman was never mentioned, which will come up in just a second. Uh, In later years, he recalled how Eisenhower, the Supreme Commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force in Europe, ordered his company to take the German-occupied beach town on a French peninsula. Uh, he recalled, which of course was St. Marie de Mont, he recorded how his unit subsequently jumped into Eindhoven, the Netherlands, in the largest airborne offensive on September 17th in market Operation Market Garden. After that, Easy Company and the 101st Airborne were the combined linchpin to victory at the Battle of the Bulge, uh, defending Bastogne, Belgium in December, and relieved by elements of General George Patton's Third Army. Uh, And that's why you'll see a big statue of um, General Patton in Bastogne if you go there. Uh, it's a it's an amazing town to visit. During that time, Brad Freeman was shot in the right leg during the battle. He recovered in England and he returned to his company. Um, and while they were guarding a bridge near the Eagle's Nest, um, Germany surrendered. He had then served in the military long enough to return home in Mississippi, where he resumed farming and then became a mail carrier for the U.S. Postal Service for 30 years. Um, he, again, an amazing man. I was so happy to know him. One of my favorite memories was he, when you went to his home, he would show you all of these different artifacts, um, pictures of his uh, children, his two daughters and his grandsons. Uh, and then people have sent him things over the years, all sorts of things uh, to thank him and to, you know, just to c- connect with him. But one of the things that he pulled out when I went to visit him was a scrapbook that had been done for him a long time ago of pictures with him and Prince Charles. And he told me a story about how he didn't want to go over and meet Prince Charles. And this was a big anniversary. It was a big deal. And he was invited to meet the prince and he refused to go. And but here they are pictures with him with Prince Charles. And I said to him, well, how did this happen? And he said, well, Tom Hanks gave me a call and told me I had to go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Well, so it was such a sweet moment. Uh, We captured it. We made a little video that's on our YouTube page. And I think the title of that is um, it took a mountain, you know, to to move brad freeman and that mountain was tom hanks something like that uh so so that was a sweet moment and the other thing that he was so proud of was that he showed me a book he told me that um dick winters was his good friend and that he had saved him a room for he and his wife on his farm in pennsylvania and then he pulled out a book uh from his shelf and that book was called 
uh, Evaders, and it was a book by Leo Heap, um, The Most Remarkable Mass Escape of World War II, and that's the name of the book. And he showed me the inside cover, and it says, this was written on February 10th, 1989. Dear Brad, although your name is not mentioned in the index, you have the satisfaction of knowing you were there. You helped get the job done. You know many details about the rescue that your leaders and Leo Heap never knew. Furthermore, you never forget even one detail. Hang tough, Major Dick Winters. And he was so proud of that and proud to, to show that to us. Uh, I loved it because um, he always, I knew it was legitimate because you know, only Dick Winters would say something like that, but he also signed it hang tough, which is what he traditionally signed his, uh, you know, his letters with. Um, and Brad did hang tough till he was 97 years old. Uh, he had a simple life on his little house in Caledonia, fed his chickens every morning, uh, had lots of cats that continued to multiply in his garage. Um, so he will be missed for sure. So you can Google Brad Freeman. I'm sure you'll find more information about him and some interviews as well, but we'll probably put up some more videos and pictures uh, just to remember him. So thank you guys for taking time to listen to me honor Brad Freeman. We're so thankful he'll be in our film forever. It's pretty special. No, it was really sweet. Yeah. Uh, and that might just on a side note, my son, my 15 year old son and I are working our way through uh, the band of brothers right now, as a matter of fact. And so I'll have to update him, but um yeah no i appreciate that thank you yeah you're welcome well what what's going on with the actual film projects right now yeah you know um we met last week with zach callahan who was the writer and we talked a lot about uh sort of his writing process and everything he's been doing for the carenton project we talked about a little fun interaction we had with grace rap who was one of our crew members i tried to get grace uh to be on our podcast today but she she was on vacation in south england with her family so hopefully she'll be back and quite frankly since last week's podcast not a lot has happened we have been on the fourth of july uh, sort of break. Everybody's uh, just kind of taking time off. Um, but there have been a lot of things going on in my mind, actually, that I'd like to share. And one of them is just been this sort of general low feeling and feeling quite lost. And like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Do I even really want to do this anymore? Um, could I ever get this movie funded? You know, tons of self-doubt, um, tons of, of a, just a low feeling that I hadn't been able to express, but I reached out to a bunch of team members, um, while we were, uh, you know, when we were shooting in Normandy and asked if there was such a thing as like post principal depression, uh, because I really did feel such a loss after that time. And like for days, it was really hard for me not to be super sad. Um, and, Absolutely. It's totally a thing, especially when you get along so well with all of your crew. I can imagine if it's a stressful, terrible shoot with people you don't like, you're happy to be away. But um, in our situation, everybody gelled so well, even though we had lots of problems um, 
we were able to accomplish our purpose and we did it with love and laughter and joy and satisfaction. Um, and then we came back and I did get adjusted to not being in this like little new family. Um, but now, you know, Bill Ebel is unavailable to work on editing stuff for the sizzle reel until like September. And there's just kind of this slowdown. And, um, so there's that. So I just wanted to just say that out loud and know that I, this is a typical normal part of the filmmaking process. I think, uh, it will pass. Um, but if this has ever happened to you, never fear, it will never, it won't last. I know I've been in this place before and here I am again, but it won't last. I, you know, uh, I, I believe it's real. Uh, I get depressed after every time I record a movie proposal podcast. Really? <laughs> really? I think, I think, cause it's so exciting leading up to it for me and then it's fun doing it. And then inevitably in the car ride home after doing it, I'm thinking, why did I say that? Did I mention <laughs> this? Gosh, I'm an idiot. Why do people listen to this thing? Like, it's just this. <laughs> I, I, I mean, but that's how it is. Like anytime I, any kind of perform or whatever, you know, like, or, and, but maybe more of like an impromptu type performance, not like a rehearsed performance, but uh, I usually question uh, anything that I said or did, which is, and then, then you have nothing to work towards and you're like, well, what am I doing next? You know? And these are just like little mini, like, I mean, these are little, yeah. these things last briefly, but when you have a giant project, I can see how you'd be like, just, well, you know, like, it's like you're all this energy momentum is going towards something and then just everything's yeah. quiet. And you were like, well, what's my purpose in life? And was it even worth it? You know? <laughs> Yeah, total questioning. And I think for me, you know, in the pre-production, you are working towards something really hard and you're starting with a group of people who, and you're all kind of working remotely typically, and then you're in principal photography and you're all together. So there's this excitement of meeting each other in person for the first time. And now the stuff that you've been working on in print and pre-production is kind of coming to fruition. So you're seeing it kind of all come together. In the meantime, you're gelling as a team in an intense situation where you're all um, undergoing the same stresses at the same time. Um, you're learning uh, about new people, but you get bonded very quickly because you're in this intense experience. And then as quickly as it started, it's over. It's over. Everybody goes their separate ways. And you will never have that time again. You won't. It's gone. And so particularly if it's good, there is total sadness there because it's a loss. And, you know, for me I, and Jason, I'm sure it's true for you and even Josh, to you extent, because you're an independent contractor, but I work in isolation so much. I'm, I'm just alone and I'm not a loner. You know, I am a people person. And so it's super hard to kind of come back into my cubicle and work in front of a computer again, you know? Yeah, so. I, I can definitely relate to that. You know, pre-COVID, you know, I work in an office with, uh, there are about 10 other self-employed people. And then when COVID happened, everyone was sent home. Uh, we found out we could actually work in our offices Um sooner than most people, but so I came back to the office, but most people did not come back to the office. And so it was very quiet and, and uh, I'm an extrovert. So I get energy from being around people. And so it's, 
<laughs> that was rough just not being around people. And then you're like, and then just being self-employed in general, you have to like lay out your agenda and your, what you're going to do that day. And just some days, you know, you're just not, may not be in the mood. Like, if, but if you have people around you, there's accountability, there's expectation. If you have a boss, you know, you have more of a reason to get something done, but if you're yeah. by yourself, you're like, Oh, and the energy's not there. That's, that's where the real, I mean, that's where, you know, kind of the adult separate themselves from the kids, you know, like they, they do it regardless of how they feel. So true. So true. And I think, you know, there is a part where, you know, you have this intense, it was an intense, you know, 10 days, let's say of this experience that I had. And I definitely needed to rest from that. I was exhausted when it was over. And so, you know, I had two weeks in Normandy where I had like follow-up meetings and stuff like that, but I primarily was resting. And then I came home and, you know, even more alone coming under this mountain of home tasks, family tasks, and not fun film production tasks. And, um, you know, that's, that's a lot to adjust to. You do need to rest, but, um, I can see why people in some senses, they just seek that let's do a movie and then they never get done because the backside of it just isn't fun. Oftentimes, you know, it's does not the same amount of energy or excitement or fun around it. Um, I also, there's a different speed um, of things with this project. Um, if we look at the brave Dutch, uh, there was an intense amount of time where we were visiting in October of 2021, meeting people, developing story, uh, hopeful that we would get money. It was pitched to all of these different places and we were completely rejected um, all the way around. And so now we're thrown into the situation of, OK, what do we do next? And that's taking time to figure out. And then, you know, OK, well, we have this Carenton project that we can do right away. So we did the principal photography because we were always going to already going to be there for the sizzle reel. But there is no urgency, you know, like we were trying to make the um, 75th anniversary of D-Day the first time. And so we had like this urgency to get it finished and tons of pressure. Well, there's not that now. Um, and it's going to have to develop at the pace it develops and money is going to be the key indicator of that. And I think this is why films take such a long time. Typically, um, I was able to raise the money relatively quickly because we had this desire to have it done by the 75th anniversary of D-Day. But in this situation, there's really no reason to get it done quickly. And so I just have to kind of proceed along as things go. And so it just, I don't know, it's a different experience and that's where I am today. Jason, what do you do? Cause you're, you're, you and Sean are not in the same state. So you guys are pretty isolated yourselves. Yeah. We're, uh, we're 2000 miles apart, uh, roughly, <laughs> um, and two time zones. And so like, you know, when, when, uh, Sean was, uh, working and commuting, uh, we would do a call every single morning. I would get up early uh, so we could have a call, um, talk about what we're doing that week, talk about what we're working on that day. Sometimes we would be doing uh, joke punch-ups on scripts and stuff, um, working remotely. Like I would read a joke to him and he would go, oh, there's something about that's not quite working. We would work on it, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it's quite a challenge. I do really, really like having a partner. Um, you know, I've, I've been making stuff 
in some capacity since I was 11. And it's really nice to have somebody to, you know, put soft deadlines on with each other to challenge each other to, Hey, I know neither of us are really feeling this right now, but why don't we just open it up and give it a shot and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting to have someone to try and mesh with creatively. Um, and it's worked really, really well for us um, so far. And so I think and the, the interesting thing is that I'm an introvert. And so like, it seems counterintuitive that like you two work on your own <laughs> and are extroverts and I work with a partner and I'm an introvert, <laughs> Yeah. but um, you know, it's just a, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, I have, I have friends who um, want to do the same sort of stuff I do and they are completely, you know, solo artists. They write, they direct, they do everything themselves. And it's just so much easier to have someone to work with um, all the time because you know, it's funny when you get to the end of a project, normally you have to kind of step back and go, okay, that's the project. I need to step back and reevaluate it at with fresh eyes. But when you have two different people who've been working on it separately and together and, you know, that sort of thing, you can kind of do that as you go. You can have, you know, he can look at what I did and I can look at what he did and we can, you know, kind of do that as we go. So we don't have to necessarily take time, step back at the end of it. We usually do. Um, because, you know, then we both have fresh eyes on everything. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting process um, finding how that works. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, again, like, you know, I find finding time is the interesting thing because it's, you know, again, living 2000 miles apart and just hopping on a phone call so we can talk for 15 minutes. It kind of makes it easier because you don't actually have to go be in the same place and work together. And, you know, that carves out a lot of time. But if you can just hop on a phone call, and do 15 minutes work here or there that kind of makes it easier um as, as well as harder so it's you know finding a balance between those things yeah and th- that kind of rings a bell for me because with the girl of war freedom i had that just about every day with bill ebel and michelle coupe because we were talking constantly about stuff and um with Bill being out until September, uh, it's very, I thought we, I was going to come back. He had time. We were going to download footage, talk about the footage. You know, I can show him what we did. We can, you know, figure out a path. And I was, I had all that energy right away to, you know, invest that with Bill and he got booked on a project. And that's another sort of collateral damage of not being able to pay Bill. If I was able to pay Bill, perhaps, you know, he could have kept on the job. And uh, that's kind of the way it is with everybody on my team. Uh, Frankly, a lot of stuff has changed, which now that I'm talking about it out loud makes me realize that's probably what's going on. We we lost um, we lost less than half of our support on Patreon. Um, one of our big donors had you know given their um, amount uh, that they wanted to give, which are so thankful for. Uh, but notice a big drop when they left and. Um, so that happened. And then I've had crew members, several crew members that said they needed to pull back because of, you know, time and money constraints. Uh, and, you know, here I am going, how am I going to put all this together? You know, how are we going to get anything done with nobody here and no money again? (laughs) So, you know, We'll see what happens in the future. The other thing I think that was hard this week, and I'll just kind of skip into this, is that we've been hit with the reality that distribution after, you know, a year and a half of, of 
of where we started. So I guess really a little more than a year. We're in a different position. We're in a different position. And if a distributor is going to take our film on, in a sense, I've been told, you know, they're doing us a favor because we've already released and really there's no incentive for them to pick us up because it's going to be a hard property to man, you know, to, to market. And they're probably not going to spend a lot of marketing dollars there. We're going to have to continue marketing ourselves. Um, they're probably going to ask for a much longer period of uh, commitment up to 10 to 15 years. I mean, you know, that's one distributor. Yeah, we'll do that for 30% for 10 years. Um, and that's kind of a bummer because, you know, I thought that signing a five-year deal at 25% interest was, um, it was bad. And I don't think I've gone from the frying pan into the fire necessarily, because I think if I do another distribution deal, it will be with people of character. And at least I have confidence that they will pay. Um, it's just that I don't have any bargaining chips anymore. I really don't no bargaining chips and I have no money and, you know, new, new distribution contracts we're looking at uh, mean that we're going to have to do some new stuff. That's going to cost us even more money. You know, perhaps we have to buy our own ENO insurance. Perhaps we have to, um, you know, I know that I'm going to have to renew uh, licenses on some of the material in our film. That's going to cost me money. So, uh, it's, I'm in a weird space right now, and I'm not quite sure uh, how to improve things or overcome things with the Girl Who Wore Freedom, not sure how to move things forward with the Carenton Project, um, not sure what to do about uh, needing more staff, not sure what to do about getting more Patreon support back. Uh, so I guess it kind of makes sense that I'm a little low <laughs> this week. Well, it's it's a you know, it's not, a, it's not an unusual pattern. I mean, you through this podcast, we've seen the highs and the lows and, you know, nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden everything's happening and, and there's, there's no one that's interested. And all of a sudden these corporations are interested and, you know, there's, uh, there's ups and downs. So I, I think it's, it's normal. It's not a bad thing. It's just a, it's a normal part of the process. Yeah, it's a psych, cycle of life, I guess, circle of right. life, cycle of life. And I know it's not going to be like this forever, um, but it's where we are today. And I, I'm not going to walk away or quit or give up or think that, you know, everything's horrible. It's just the way things are today. And, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. Well, we'll hear more about that on upcoming podcasts. In the meantime, as we are rounding the bend, getting ready to land this plane, let's uh, switch gears and head into our section because it's now time for DocuView Deja Vu. DocuView Deja Vu. Congratulations, Josh. That was awesome. Yeah, it was one of my better ones, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> I'll go first. I Have I mentioned we really need a way to track this because now this is like, we do have a way to track this. I'll share the, I'll share the Google Drive with you. Okay. Uh, does does Val the documentary Val with Val Kilmer? Is that did we talk about that? I do not remember this. I don't think we did. 
Okay. I think we, we did a movie proposal on it. We, and so yes. that's, that might be what you're remembering. Okay. Well, this is a documentary on Amazon. Uh, it's made by Val Kilmer about Val Kilmer. It's called Val, V-A-L. He, throughout his acting career, got a video camcorder and just shot a ton of footage just throughout his his career as an actor, which was very unique because you got to see some very interesting footage. Like when he was in a play with, I think Sean Penn and Kevin Bacon and different actors like that, when they were younger and, and Val wasn't, was a no name guy. And, uh, and so that was fascinating. You got to you know, hear about his life, his career. And then of course he had this, um, and I forget the actual disease. He had something to do with his throat where he can no longer speak. Was it cancer? Yeah. Yeah. I think he had cancer. Throat yeah. cancer, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so just seeing that and, and how his children are involved in his life. And uh, it's an excellent documentary. And I, especially for someone who grew up, you know, I, I was a fan of Top Gun. I loved Willow. I, I, you know, there's a bunch of films with Val Kilmer in it, that he was, he was one of those action hero. Like when you, his name was in a movie, you're like, Ooh, this, we got to check this out. Right. So, so if you're of that generation or you like documentaries about actors, it's definitely worth checking out. Awesome. I'm interested, especially since I, you know, in just watching Top Gun Maverick, I didn't realize he had been sick and I didn't realize that was actually probably his last role and uh the story about him being involved in there and in the relationship with tom cruise i thought was really sweet i looked it up after the movie so thanks for that wreck jason, right, jason you got one yeah um so this is one i've started and i haven't finished yet um but <laughs> i feel like i've talked about um the chernobyl miniseries on hbo a ton because i so just good. I, I love it so much so good um, HBO just released um, within like the last week or so um, a movie called Chernobyl, the lost tapes. And it's a bunch of archival footage uh, newly discovered. And so they take you through the entire thing. And so it starts out and life's normal. And then the reactor blows up and then you, you know, keep going through it. And it's so fascinating to watch having seen Chernobyl and realizing how accurate all the costumes were, all the signage was all the buildings. It's, so 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 accurate and just so incredibly cool to watch um mm. so yeah if, if you like if you're interested in chernobyl if you're interested in learning more about um what caused an rbmk reactor to blow up uh <laughs> it's a pretty cool little look into um that i guess what 40 years ago about 40 years ago yeah. um the chernobyl disaster so yeah and some of it's uh film some of it's like vhs tape some of it's stuff that was recorded off a of tv because you know it's news footage and all that sort of stuff so it's it's pretty cool um mix of of archival footage that's interesting you know um i was really shocked when i found a few people in normandy who were taking thyroid medication and i was asking what was going on with that and i was told um that it was sort of the um dust clouds of chernobyl that caused people in normandy to have trouble with their thyroid and i was like what really uh, but apparently it's true. Yeah. They don't even know how many millions of lives were shortened by that disaster. Um, it's, it's pretty insane. Yeah. Now, wow. Most of Europe is, was affected. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for that recommendation. Um, I am going to share one that um, I just really loved and I watched it on my way back from Normandy uh, and it's called Julia. 
It was released in 2021 by CNN. Uh, it's about the life of Julia Child. She uh, This film documents the story of this uh, cookbook author and television superstar who changed the way Americans think about food, television, and even about women. Uh, the directors are Julie Cohen and Betsy West. Um, and I have to tell you, it is just chock full with women um, producers and um, you know, above the line people as well as below the line people. I found it to be an incredibly well done documentary. And there were many things I didn't know in there, including that she was um, she's a World War II veteran, uh, interestingly enough. And she, you know, had a beautiful marriage. So fascinating. Uh, she it was just just unbelievable to learn uh, the behind the scenes of who she was. Cause I remember growing up and actually watching cooking shows that she did with her, uh, with my mom. And, you know, she was such a force of nature when I was little in the seventies and, and eighties. And I just really had no idea how her life began. And, uh, so it was a well done documentary. The archival footage was fascinating. Uh, especially if you love cooking shows um, to kind of, it made me very interested in going back and trying some of her recipes or, uh, and what I love is how you see how real she is and, and not uh, pretending to be something she's not. Uh, she was the queen of dealing with mistakes as they happen on air. Um, yeah. So great doc. What that makes me think of is the, classic Dan Aykroyd Saturday Night Live skit where he portrays Julia yes. Childs and, you know, accidentally cuts herself and, but it turns to be a, just a gashing bloody vein that's opened up and blood is spewing everywhere. <laughs> yes. And she actually watched that and liked it and laughed. It's included in this documentary. Oh, was it really? <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, definitely check out those for sure. Christian, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? Well, for those Patreon supporters that continue to support us monthly, your um, support is just incredibly valued. And I know that that is something that you have committed to doing monthly. It means so much to us more now than ever. Um, I ask that you, if you're a praying person, please pray about the um, that we would just get a, a vision and an understanding of where we're supposed to go next, uh, whether it's Patreon, the Carentan Project, the you know the Brave Dutch or the Girl Who Wore Freedom, um, you know, just help you know ask the Lord to help us know where to go and what to do, um, and yeah. Uh, you can refer your friends to thegirlywarfreedom.com. Right now, that's the only place to watch the film. You can either stream it um, through our website on Gumroad, or you can um, order a DVD. So make sure to share that with people. And um, that's about it for now. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, we're all, we were glad to catch up with you, Christian. Welcome back to the United States. And we want to say thank you for our listeners for listening to Documentary First where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you for listening, donating, and following along on our journey. We are supported by generous donations from people just like you. To make a donation, visit thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. 
or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash documentaryfirst. To learn more about our other works in progress, visit documentaryfirst.com or follow Documentary First on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This podcast was produced by Documentary First, edited and mixed by Jason Hoban, with music by Jeff Kurtenacker.